you don't build a company that is a place people want to work, you will never get the right people to execute that vision. Welcome to FinTech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Support provided by the Vital Credit Card. Make a statement in your wallet with a sleek metal credit card that pays you cash back when you share and spend responsibly while helping you improve your credit health. Request your invite at vital.fintechconfidential.com. Casey and Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. It's great to be here. We appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're really excited to be here today. Thanks, Ted. BHMI started in 1986, well before the term fintech was ever even thought about or ever used. And BHMI has transformed into a back office electronic payment transaction processing software product. Mike, as one of the founders of BHMI, I'm looking forward to hearing all about the journey since you've been there since the very beginning. And Casey, you may not have been there from when it all got started, but you have been there for 24 years, driving the sales and marketing efforts. Mike, how did you meet the two other founders, Jack and Lynn Baldwin? And what was that moment when you guys decided you were gonna go ahead and start BHMI? I first met the Baldwins at the local university, the University of Nebraska at Omaha, the same semester or one semester after they started teaching uh, in the computer science department. The first time I met uh, Jack Baldwin, I was in a, I think my second, third semester, and I was, it was a required class that was very large. There were over 200 students in it. We were packed into a room, and um, I wondered why they had the room a little smaller than it probably needed to be. And Jack walks in, walks up, and he had kind of a wicked smile on his face, and he looks out at the students and he says, everything you've heard about me is true. <laughs> and it was quiet for a moment. And then there was lots of whispering. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, as, as there were a few people in the audience, I wasn't one of them at the time, but uh, it, the word got around that, oh, A, this is a really hard class and B, he's a really tough instructor. And I found out why the classroom was that size because only about 25% of the class graduated. Oh, wow. So, um, that was how we met. Um, and then um, shortly uh, after I left, I ended up joining the same company. In fact, they recruited me into the company they had left the university for. And we've been working pretty much ever since. What was the point at which you guys decided that you were going to go off and, and build uh, BHMI? We had worked together at another company. And we had kind of gotten to the point where we were looking for something a little bit different. Uh, and we, we really wanted um, a couple of things. We, first of all, we wanted to create a company that we wanted to work at, that had the kind of environment and did the kind of work we were interested in. So um, our background was high volume uh, financial transaction processing. And so we, we already had that background and that was obviously going to be kind of a linchpin. Um, and it's definitely a challenging area to work in. Um, we also had some definite ideas about uh, the working environment. As I said, we wanted to create a place we and hopefully others would want to work. 
So a couple examples of the things we were looking for there. Um, first of all, we gave, and this was really kind of counter to the prevailing office culture at the time, rather than put people in a notion of cubicles, we basically gave everyone um, an office with a door to close. So if you needed to work and you needed some peace and quiet, you could go into your office and work. Um, everybody got the same offices. There were no, you know, the founders got the same office as the people who just joined that week. Um, but we also created a bunch of shared spaces. Sometimes these were no more than conference rooms, but other times, basically a, a group of people working on a project would take over one of these rooms and it became kind of the war room for the duration of that project. Um, we had floor to ceiling, wall to wall whiteboards in there. So you could write to your heart's content, um, and keep up all your design, you know, design notes and diagrams and so forth up, uh, we had, you know, laptops and projectors in there. Um, we had, we for some projects, we brought in specialized equipment for testing. And so it was, it, you had a lot of flexibility and we let people kind of define how they wanted to work together. Um, we also wanted to keep up with, a key thing was keeping up with technology. One of the things that will attract people who can do this kind of work is if they're working with the, with the latest and uh, uh, greatest, both uh, hardware and software, the tooling and so forth. Um, and that all kind of went towards, as we said, creating a place that we wanted to work at as well as attracting others. That sounds so much like the modern Silicon Valley style company. And that's a number of years back, you had the foresight and understanding that the collaboration and having those pieces in place to have the place for people to go and do the deep work without interruption was, was a key piece of mind. Casey, I want to ask you, what, what led you to join BHMI and what has kept you there for all these years? This all started about 29 years ago. And my husband, whose name is Rod, uh, he has a computer science degree and actually Lynn, Mike and Jack reached out to Rod and asked him if he would join their team uh, to be a, a lead in the, in the software development efforts of the company to, to be a software engineer and a solution architect. And then through that, I got to know Mike and Lynn and Jack and saw how amazing the BHMI team was. And about five years after Rod started, oh, they knew I did this sales and marketing stuff. And they asked, you know, would you like to come and help us with our sales and marketing efforts? And I knew how strong the company was and what they were doing. And I jumped at the opportunity. And by the way, both Rod and I have both been here for a very long time. Rod coming up on 29 years and me, you know, over 24 years. And we've never looked back. We love working with the team. It's a, it's a great, great company to be part of. Doing my research, I saw all sorts of really cool videos. And I have to ask about the corporate mascot, Max the Bulldog. Can you tell me how <laughs> this got started at BHMI? I would love to. Actually, this was back in the 80s, and there was one of our customers that gave a quote, and they said that BHMI is like a bulldog organization because they get the job done right, and no technical challenge ever is too difficult for them. And I was looking at that quote, and I was like, this would be a really cool mascot for BHMI. So we ended up creating a, a stuffed toy, and this is actually one of them. Uh, this one has uh, money from around the world on it. But we've had Max in all different types of outfits. We've had him in tuxedos. We've had him in Hawaiian shirts, 
you name it. We've had them in different outfits and we give these away out at different shows and conferences. And by the way, you mentioned videos. If you go out and look on our website, there's an English bulldog that we use. And um, he's the star of a variety of different videos on our website, including our holiday videos, which have been kind of famous. So go out and take a look. We've had a lot of fun with our corporate mascot, Max. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed. And as I'm I'm looking through all the videos, you you look at the, the number of people that have watched Max videos versus other videos it is it is easily a thousand to one ratio um so he is extremely popular and that's one of the things that drove (laughs) me to asking that question is just it it has become very popular i was curious to where that came from when most people think of fintech typically they think of the consumer facing products with these slick user interfaces often they overlook all of the stuff that happens in the back office solutions that support those experiences and in electronic payments typically the company that you think of that has that really cool interface is square now before we dive in deeper into all of these different things can we take some time and dive into what BHMI means by a payments back office. The payments back office, what it is, is a transaction gets authorized on the front end. And then the back office does the really tough stuff that happened after the payment is authorized. So this can be things like reconciling transaction data across many sources, doing things like settlement and funds movement and getting the appropriate transaction participants paid. It also can include the calculation and assessment of fees. And then a big one, obviously, is is if a transaction is disputed, there's a whole workflow that goes around that to successfully resolve that. A back office also needs to have a comprehensive enterprise view of transaction activity and financial positions across the entire organization. And then also what's important is to be able to easily do transaction research and also to be able to um, do reporting. So the back office is extremely key. And uh, again, it's what happens after a transaction is authorized. Both of you have seen a lot of change. How has BHMI evolved over the years to keep up with this change? There's two perspectives to this, a technology perspective and a business perspective. And I'll, I'll address the technology perspective. Um, When we started in the uh, late 80s, everything we were doing was primarily still on proprietary platforms. Obviously, um, fairly rapidly after we had had started the company and were doing work on those proprietary platforms, open systems really began to take over. And so we had to to shift a whole lot of stuff um, at that point. We had many different operating systems, which which coalesced down to really the vast majority of the marketplace is Windows and Linux. We also, uh, a shift in databases. We were on proprietary databases, a variety of them, and we really shifted to a number of SQL databases. And the hardware changed. So again, from a bunch of hardware to really the vast majority of the world running on x86 and now on on mobile also, on a variety of, of things there. So when we were presented with this shift, and this started in the mid-90s, from a technology perspective, we looked at it and said, okay, how do we, how do we make sense of this? How do we build something that, um, or, where we can reuse our code in a variety of ways? And so what we did 
is we built a set of software frameworks that basically isolated our applications from differences in the operating system, differences in Windows and Linux. Um, it also isolated us from the different uh, dialects of SQL. And so our application concourse has almost zero dependencies. It, it is the same application code running on Windows and Linux. It just runs on top of these frameworks that provide it that isolation. Uh, same thing with supporting, you know, for example, if you took Oracle and SQL Server, we run across those with the same stuff. There are very few dependencies. So we get a lot of uh, leverage and being able to run across these new, the, what were at the time new systems, they're now the standard systems, um, uh, with a common code base. Um, and so that was a, um, a big change that... Uh, Obviously, that was a fairly significant investment for us to make, but we've really benefited and our customers have benefited because um, once you shake down the problem, the, uh, the application on one platform, it's pretty much going to work on the others with with uh, very little problem. Um, so that was our big change from proprietary to open and how we took advantage of that opportunity. Um, from a business perspective, uh, we had a big shift company from uh, a doing custom software, which is where we started. Transitioning from a custom software to software products is a huge shift. And most companies, well, honestly, they don't survive. What are the biggest challenges that BHMI has faced moving from that custom software development company to a software products company? The first thing is to realize that it is fundamentally different from what you've been doing. And you don't just keep doing what you're doing and somehow product magically happens um, because the, the doing custom versus product is fundamentally different. From a technical or software perspective, when you're doing custom work, you are focusing on meeting the needs of a single customer. Obviously, with a product, you want to meet the needs of a wide variety of customers so you can sell the product over and over. So the first thing that became apparent right away was your software now becomes more complex because you have a broader range of customers you're targeting. You have a broader range of requirements. You've got effectively a whole lot more work to do. And this is everything from design to development, testing, documentation, deployment. It impacts everything that you're doing. Because of that, you have to build it. You have to have a bigger team doing this. And uh, a couple things happen out of that. Because you're addressing a broader range of requirements, you've got a lot more software. The software you are now doing, what I've heard some people refer to as industrial-scale software, we have millions upon millions of lines of code in the product. And doing and to support that, from a technical perspective, we needed new processes to, to manage the software. Um, but we also needed new processes to manage communication across, among people. When you have a small custom project that might have, would typically have four to eight people on it, communication in that group is pretty straightforward. But if you have 50 people working on, a, on, on the product, you've got to put more in place to enable them to effectively communicate and to manage what you're doing, or you're going to have chaos. And so we ended up having to create a whole new business unit um, with new processes in place for how we for how we manage the work, um, new technology in order to manage the scale of the software, and one of the 
the the other kind of tricky bits of this is you are constantly, even now, all these years later, we are always trying to balance how much process we need versus people getting the work done. You know, it's the it's the it's the old agile thing about people versus process. You want just enough process and not too much. If you don't have enough, you have chaos. And if you have too much, it gets in the way of getting the work done. And that's something we're real conscious of. And it still comes up today as uh, new challenges come up. So as I said, those are, those are what we saw uh, from inside the company, realizing we had something fundamentally different, um, making the change and, and, bal- and balancing, you know, uh, and balancing the process versus, versus people getting work done. With all of those transitions and making those moves into more of a collaboration across multiple different personas, it, it really is not a simple process and it, it becomes very complex very quickly. What do you guys feel were the keys to successfully making the transition from the software, custom software development to the software product for a market. One of the main reasons for our success and how we were able to do the migration from a custom software company to a product software company, first of all, is is that we had a pretty focused vision. We decided early on when we were going to make this switch and change our business model was that we were going to focus on the back office processing of payments. A lot of other companies in this space tend to focus more on the front office side of processing payments. And there weren't a lot of providers of solutions specific to the processing on the back end side. And that's where we as a company made a strategic decision. That's where we were focused. We made that decision about 20 years ago and we have not uh, moved away from that vision and that focus. And then uh, as Mike was alluding to, Something that's been really important and part of our success is that we very early on created a business unit within BHMI that was focused on the concourse product and the evolution of that. And what that meant was we have a very specialized product management team that understands the payments industry really well and the needs of the marketplace. We have a very specialized architecture and engineering team. We had to um, dramatically uh, change our quality assurance procedures for a product. Obviously, the level of documentation that we had to do dramatically changed. We had to create manuals across all of the product components, and we keep those up to date. Um, So we have a very integrated product unit within BHMI that is completely focused on that. And, you know, it's been fun to watch because we offer 24 by 7 support and we're supporting customers all around the world. Our team is growing. Our client base is growing. So I think our, our vision has been spot on. And I think uh, that's the reason why we've been so successful. 24 by 7 support on a product that is critical to to a business's success is, is a huge differentiator. Most of the companies in the space don't offer that type of a thing. I can understand how your clients and your customers really appreciate being able to pick up the phone and call somebody when something isn't working as they expected. Fintech companies are always pushing the envelope with what legacy systems can do and what processes they have to follow. 
What are a few things that BHMI is doing to help companies facing these obstacles in the payments back office? And how are you solving them? It's really common for us to come into, uh, to engage with the customer and what they've got is uh, usually a fairly old legacy system. It's batch oriented um, and uh, difficult to, uh, to, to change. And what we provide uh, with Concourse is we can do continuous loading of transactions from front end systems, uh, chasing their transactions log in near real time and uh, up and then, and then updating. So we have, we have near real time uh, information for as for the various functions that Casey was mentioning, uh, generating fees, settlement, reconciliation, we can provide, you know, as, Usually we we are we are chasing within uh, a couple minutes of the uh, front end, so you're you can see on your back end your real time your near real time position. The other thing that's uh, we, we typically see with these uh, systems that we're customers are looking to do something about is all the business rules that the customer has is hard are hard coded into the application, and it, it, this makes it a real pain when the business wants to go out and sell a new service, but they need to price the service to create fees for the service in a, in a new way that the system doesn't support. So they'll go to their IT and say, what would it take for us to put this in? And they'll say, that's a six month project. And they're saying, I need to sign the customer next week. What do I do? What Concourse provides is we have a configurable uh, rule engine that really, and it is, it is embedded throughout the application so that all through the processing, uh, all through our processing, there are points where you can you can change what the application does through configuration. So presented with those same challenges, we can say, okay, let's sit down and work out what, for example, pricing or fee strategy you want for this new customer. We'll configure it and we will, and we can schedule it to be rolled into the system when you sign the customer. That obviously is a much more attractive solution and gives them a lot of, gives the business people a whole new set of flexibility that they often don't have just because it's so hard and so time consuming to change their current system. Um, and the system is pretty sophisticated in terms of the, all these rules. We remember for things like, well, last week, you, you know, or last week or last month, you loaded under a different set of rules. Well, we, we remember that and we, the information reflects those rules, but when you change it, and new transactions loaded, you see that too. So this kind of configurability and means that there's a whole range of things. Our customers don't have to come to us for customizations or they don't have to do customizations. They simply configure it into the system, turn it on, and it goes in without with zero downtime. So those two things, being able to give you near real-time information and being able to, through configuration, meet new requirements rather than uh, having to write code, those are two real big ones that uh, we're able to address. Mike, so could you give us a couple examples of the configurations that you can do on the fly versus having to wait for a production fix or a push or, or running a full release? Yeah. Um, so, for example, if the, the, the case that I had, if you come in and say, I have a new customer um, that I want to bring online for my processing. And I want, the, when we, we process these transactions, 
I need, for example, at certain levels to generate, a, a, basically, as they provide uh, generate certain volumes of transactions, I want to change at certain thresholds the fees we generate. And within those, each one of those tiers, in fact, I want to be able to look at each transaction, certain characteristics, and generate a different fee. So I want, you know, they can come up with, for example, very, uh, uh, very complex uh, ones that are specific to a given customer that they're processing. And so uh, I, that was, in effect, one of the drivers we had for the, for the first customer for this. And, um, you know, their, their, their salespeople were, I, I can go out and write a contract and put in whatever <laughs> the customer wants, and they, you can do that. And before, they, could, they had a very narrow set of rules. That was all the system. Yeah. And they, you know, had to try to shoehorn all their customers, big and small, with widely varying needs into that one shoe size. And we're saying, no, you can make whatever shoe you want. So Casey, talking about all this configuration, talking about how you can do it on the fly, I can only imagine how the marketplace has has accepted and moved forward with it. What are some of the things that you're hearing from potential clients and existing clients that it's helping them solve their problems? One thing that we've heard is a lot of the companies that we're working with, they're large enterprise organizations, and they have back office systems that have been deployed um, over the decades, and they're siloed. Um, they're, there's many of them, many different applications, and they don't talk to each other. They're not integrated. So one thing that Concourse has really helped them with is the way it's architected, we're able to bring in any type of payment transactions. So this could be like trans, uh, traditional card-based transactions. It can also be the newer types of transactions we're hearing a lot about today, the account-to-account, P2P-type transactions, real-time payments, instant payments. It doesn't matter what type of electronic payment it is, we can bring that into the system. And also message formats. I mean, you've probably heard of ISO 8583, which is the message standard that's been used across our history for electronic transaction-based payments. But now with the real-time rails, they're using ISO 20022. Well, we're able to support any type of message standard. So again, one unified integrated system. I think another big challenge that we're seeing companies face is these back office procedures are often riddled with a lot of manual procedures. So for example, reconciliation, most of our clients have systems that, or uh, sources where the data is coming in from many, many different transaction sources, and they have to determine financial equivalency across all those data sources. So they do that a lot of times very manually, and we have allowed them to automate that. We, we determine financial equivalency through the rules engine uh, in an automated fashion. Another one is disputes and chargebacks. That is usually a huge manual process within many organizations, and we automate a good chunk of that process. For example, we tightly integrate with the card networks such as Visa and MasterCard, and they no longer have to manually send and receive data. That's all automated. They no longer have to swivel chair. Uh, so we automate those workflows within the system. So accommodating and helping with manual processes is another way we've really helped. That's fantastic, Casey. Supporting the legacy ISO 8583 and the ISO 20022, 
protocols. You guys seem to be positioned really well for being ready to support the instant payment phenomena, whether it be real-time payments or or other peer-to-peer type stuff. What's next for BHMI? When we originally started to design the system, the most back office systems uh, within companies today and also on the market are batch oriented. And we made a decision from an architecture standpoint to make it based on a continuous processing architecture. And it's been fun to watch this explosion with real time and instant payments because we've been well suited for many years uh, to be able to accommodate that need. So we're very excited about where the industry's heading with all the new technologies because we're architected to be able to handle these faster methods of payments. And like I said, any type of payment. So we're, we're pretty excited about the future and we're gonna keep doing what we're doing and make sure that we can support uh, what's gonna happen well into the future. And we think we're well, well situated for that based on the architecture that we put together with Concourse. And Mike, what is that architecture piece? Have you guys moved it into the cloud? Are you still premise based? Like help us understand where where BHMI is is headed with with the overall technology. I'm glad you mentioned cloud. We've been an on-premise uh product um up until now. And it's interesting, back office processing has been slow to move to the cloud. Um, mostly due to security concerns. Obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of sensitive data there. However, we've noticed a shift in the last couple of years. The market's finally moving in that direction, and so we are too. Uh, we are moving Concourse into the cloud. Um, we actually have it up and running in, in the cloud here, um, and we plan on eventually supporting all the major clouds. Um, we've got a number of customers who are are looking at this, and one of the advantages we discovered in, in going through this process is because we designed Concourse from the very beginning horizontally scalable, because we we were kind of fortunate. Our first customers had large volumes, so we had to, you know, that had to be a day one requirement for us. Um, that, that made it a pretty easy fit to move into Kubernetes in the cloud. Um, we really didn't have to hardly change much code at all. It was mostly a configuration exercise for us. Um, once we have it there, we plan on taking advantage of some things that the cloud will additional capabilities we can only get in the cloud. Um, but uh, the market is finally moving there, and so are we. And we've got a number of customers that uh, are looking to do this. We've talked about so many things today, and it has been really fun to hear the journey from the beginning to to all the changes that have happened, how the culture is at the organization, how you're positioning yourself to move forward. If you were to give fintech leaders just one piece of advice on long-term success in this arena, just one, what would it be? My advice would be, you know, really look at the market and identify where there's a need and create your vision and stick with it. You know, you have to evolve the vision, but stick with it. That's what we did. 20 years ago, we had a vision and we've stuck with that and we've continued to enhance that vision, but overall we've stayed with that and it's really um, helped meet a definite need in the marketplace. Go back to one of the founding principles, whatever market you want to attack and however you want to do it, if you don't build a company that is a place people want to work, 
you will never get the right people to execute that vision. Build a place you want to you be at and you think other folks want to come join you. Um, because otherwise, you'll, you'll never get there. You, you won't be able to bring in the kind of people you need to execute. That is fantastic. I, I love that we started with culture. We're ending with culture. That is a huge part of any business's success. And how can people get involved with BHMI, learn more about BHMI, and find out how Concourse can help them in their business? To get involved in the conversation with BHMI, first of all, I'd suggest that you go out and take a look at us on the web. We're at bhmi.com, and out there you'll find all kinds of white papers and articles and videos that you can look at and learn more about the company and also Concourse. We also invite you to follow us on LinkedIn. We're continually doing posts about our company and about what's going on in the industry. So we'd love to have you follow us. And then also check out on YouTube, our channel out on YouTube for our Pioneers in Payments video series. And Ted, you were a recent guest on there and shared yeah. some great insights. So we invite everybody to go out and take a look at that. Well, fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and put all the links to those things down in the show notes as well as in the description. So if you want a quick way to get over to BHMI, that is how you're going to be able to do it. Thank you, both of you, for joining today. It's been wonderful. We appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to sharing this with the audience. And hopefully someone learned something out of this to help them move their fintech business forward. 